Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and all major podcast providers. So if you can't catch the show live, you can download it or simply use our free podcast player, which is available on our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to connect with us, please post your question on our wall on Facebook or send me a tweet at June Stoyer on Twitter. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, one of the most trusted names in certified organic clean foods. Listeners of the Organic View Radio Show can receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. Simply enter the coupon code ORGVIEW when prompted during checkout. That's ORGVIEW. For more special offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. There's a saying, everything I learn about life, I learn from my cat. Cats are loyal, clever, and very curious. Such is the love of a pet parent who has invited a feline to become a part of the family. It's amazing how cats can teach you not only about yourself, but how you relate to others. The bond between a human and a cat can sometimes occur immediately or gradually, just as in any relationship. Regardless, the experience is always life-changing. For those who have lived through the painful experience of trying to find a missing cat, the story described by my guest today, Mr. Peter Trachtenberg, is one that I'm sure you will all relate to. In his best-selling book, Another Insane Devotion on the Love of Cats and Persons, you will find a beautiful story about a man who has had the fortune of experiencing the love and joy from his beloved animal companion and how he became a better person in the process. So I would like to welcome to the show Mr. Peter Trachtenberg. Good afternoon, Peter, and welcome to the show. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Can you share with our audience a little bit about yourself and also some of your other publications? Okay, sure. I've spent most of my life as a working writer, primarily in nonfiction. I do write some fiction. Um, this is my third book. Um, before this, I wrote a memoir called Seven Tattoos, uh, which was structured around the tattoos that I'd acquired um, in the course of my life. And the, the book that followed it is a book called The Book of Calamities, which is a a sort of study of suffering um, and the stories that people make make about it or compose about it. Um, not necessarily fictional stories, they're often very true, but the things that they, they tell themselves in order to tolerate and survive what they live through. It's a book I did an enormous amount of research for. I, I traveled to Rwanda to observe genocide tribunals, um, was in uh, Sri Lanka after the tsunami of 2004, um, interviewed the principals in a major murder trial in Texas. Um, so that was a very consuming effort. I now teach at the University of Pittsburgh. I teach creative nonfiction. Well, your your work is, is magnificent, and clearly you can see that in this book there is so much thought that has been put into this book as you share very personal parts of your life with the audience. Can you just explain to our audience whether or not you've always been what they refer to as a cat lover? 
I mean, there are people who seem to bond with dogs or bond with cats and dogs, but I really do think it takes a special type of person to really bond with a cat. Yeah, I, I mean, I love dogs too, but my deep I've had some very deep relationships with cats. And I think it's partly that I did not have animals as a child. Uh, my parents were European Jews who had come over during World War II, and it, they came from a generation and, um, that really, like, people did not have domestic animals. Um, they either thought they were dirty or they were a little scary. My mother, for example, was deathly afraid of cats. So I didn't get a cat. I didn't get my first cat till I was um, in my early 30s, and it was during a period of, um, my life had kind of fallen apart. Um, you know, I had a lot of very shallow, short-lived relationships with women, and it occurred to me that I might not, not ever have loved anything really in my life. Um, and I decided to adopt a cat with the idea that you know I would just learn how to take care of this thing and, you know, it might give me some stability and keep me out of trouble, um, which is maybe a cold-blooded way of looking at adopting a living creature, but that's what was in my mind, and I got a cat named Bitey. Um, I named her, her name came late, relatively late. She was originally Bridget, but her personality mm. revealed itself. Um, and I found myself gradually falling in love with her, um, uh, you know, uh, and maybe I should put falling in love in quotes, but the way that you do with an animal. It's interesting. You reference the Beatles' Norwegian Wood in the beginning of the book, and I found that very amusing, especially as a way to describe your relationship with different cats. Now, the brief interactions that you've had with these cats up until the relationship that you have with Bitey is just really interesting. Um, with Bitey... There was a point where you are going through a breakup with a girlfriend, and there was something that was really spectacular that happened, even though it was just a one-time incident, and it was Bitey's way of really communicating with you and offering you compassion. Can you share with our audience the what exactly happened and how that changed you as a person? Sure. I mean, the incident I'm referring to, it was after a breakup, and I was lying on my couch, and it was about a year after I'd gotten Bitey, and she suddenly walked over, climbed on my chest, and then stretched her her forelimbs around my neck as though she was hugging me. Mm. Now, I have to say, I don't know if that was really a hug. She may just have been stretching. I, you know, there's a conscious, a constant um, pull in the book between what I imagine um, cats are doing or trying to express and my understanding that I can't know. So at any rate, we lay like that for a while, we very, very quietly. It was, it was really quite beautiful. Then suddenly the phone rang and I started up to answer it and she, you know, fell. I mean, she wasn't hurt. Cats fall all the time mm. uh, for much higher than somebody on a couch. But I will say that she never laid down on me like that again. And later I thought, you know, well, that was maybe my payback. It's interesting how cats especially can not only teach us about interacting with other people, but also teach us about ourselves. Do you think that it would be fair to say that each relationship with each individual cat represents a particular set of memories? 
Yeah, oh, definitely. And it's, I mean, certainly the fact is that, you know, I've now had, well, say two, really two generations of cats, which doesn't sound like an enormous amount. Um, and it probably totals, I I don't want to let make your audience wait while I count. I'm very bad at math. But <laughs> I probably have at least 12 cats, um, you know, within those two generations. I mean, including cats who disappeared or cats I temporarily... Mm-hmm. Um, so say between I've had between six and twelve cats all all told, and you know the, I could care for Bitey or love Bitey in a way, in a sort of partial way because I was only partially capable of loving. Um, I got impatient with her sometimes. I yelled at her. Um, you know I didn't always want to play when she wanted to. I don't always want to play when my cat Biscuit wants to play. Mm. But, you know, I'm more available and less impatient and less irritable. And maybe I have a better understanding that this is a creature that is not there to make me happy, um, you know, or come at my beck and call. That's a big difference between cat people and dog people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you don't get a cat. You do not get a cat because it's going to obey you. No, you certainly do not. And it's interesting how cats have the ability to teach us so many things without even being aware of the fact that that's what they're doing. With well, that has to do... No, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. sorry. I mean, I think that has to do... I mean, it's something about cats, but it's also something about one's willingness to be taught something. Yes. Look, there are a lot of people who go through their entire lives without learning anything about themselves. Um, you know, that may even be the human norm. Um, but the thing is, if if you don't want to suffer or don't want to suffer the same pain for an entire life, you try to learn something, which means looking at yourself in an interested, critical way. You often compare male cats to men and female cats to women. There are a number of allusions in the book, actually, to sex. What have you learned from these observations? Well, about cats or about people? Well, just uh, just the and the description of the cat's behavior and how you tie that into human behavior. I thought it was really a very interesting comparison or series of well, comparisons. The, th- the thing about cats is that, you know, it is, for example, in male cats, they have a very powerful sex drive. It's not constant. Um, you know, they respond to, to females in heat. Um, and they travel, you know, male cats, unneutered male cats, travel, I forget, at least twice as far as females um, and about twice as far as neutered males. You know, so by deductively you realize that they're traveling that far in search of sex. Um, it is like one of the organizing principles of their behavior. It's not, they don't have to travel that far from, for food. Um, and, of course, you know, human beings don't do that, but we've, we've evolved or in some societies we do, but for the most part we've evolved a, a social framework that gives us many more sexual opportunities. And also we're complicated by the fact that we're not just interested in reproduction. Thank you. Your book focuses on the disappearance of your beloved cat, Biscuit. Can you talk about your feelings when you discover that Biscuit in your mind is missing and just the emotional 
agony that you were going through as you were trying to make your journey back home as quickly as possible. Yeah, well, this happened while I was away teaching um, at a college in North Carolina. And my wife uh, was away at a residency in Europe, and we had hired a friend's kid to stay in our house in the Hudson Valley and watch our three cats, or four cats. Um, and, you know, I originally, I felt very ambivalent about leaving. I don't like being away from home. Mm-hmm. I worried about the cats. And probably I was a real pest the first week or so that I was away because I called uh, this guy Bruno, oh, you know, at least once a day wanting to know how they were, and he did not return calls. And finally, you know, I got him one time. He grudgingly said they were okay. But then the following week, he called me in the beginning of the week, and the moment, you know, I heard his voice on the phone, um, I just felt like my heart dropped into my stomach. I knew that there was something wrong. And then, you know, very casually said that this kid had gone out earlier and hadn't come back, and it was raining, and um, was this normal? And when I finally began to quiz him about what earlier meant, he said that it was three days before. Mm. So he'd been gone three days. And I really felt, I felt physically, I felt a combination of physical sickness and just rage. If I could have, I would, I would have strangled him through the phone. Um no, I, I completely understand. I I know many people, especially for the cat lovers that are out there, they you know, it's something that people can identify with. It's really difficult, especially if you're trying to travel or if you need to be away from home for some some reason, to trust the care of your beloved animal companions to someone. And clearly this incident <clears throat> had a very big effect on you as far as your love, your capacity for loving Biscuit, as well as the responsibility that you took so seriously. Well, it was an interesting thing. I mean, it was, you know, the the way the book evolved was I went on a search for this missing cat. And I should say, first off, by the time I learned she was missing, she'd been gone three days. I wasn't going to be able to get up there until at least four days had passed. So there was the question, is it worth it to go looking for a cat who has been missing for four days? Um, and then the other que- question was the fact that it was whether I could afford it. I was at the time quite broke. I'd been unemployed for a while. Um, this is back in 2008 when the freelance market had just disintegrated. So all the ways in which I'd, I'd earned money for, for decades had, had really vanished. This was my first full-time teaching job, and I was paying two sets of rent. I was paying rent in North Carolina and rent in the Hudson Valley. So I was going, so I was already in debt, and was I going to go, you know, 500 bucks more in debt in order to go looking for a cat I might not find? So that was part of my initial hesitation, but I kept coming back to the fact that I just knew that I could not live with myself if I didn't look for it. Um, it was something I had to do, and I went and did it. And it was only afterward but I began to ask myself, well, why did you do this? What is this about? So that's the mystery that, you know, that, um, that was the germ of this entire book. Looking back, what were some of the key lessons that you learned about yourself because of this experience? Well, I learned that I had a capacity um, for, that I did have a capacity for love, which is something I'd always question about myself. And, by love, I began to sort of look at well, what this love consists of, and I saw that it wasn't 
you know, up until then, I thought, well, I thought of the love I had for my parents, say, uh, the love I'd had for a number of girlfriends and then my wife. And, like, the, in the latter case, um, the sexual component was pretty big, putting it delicately. Um, and I had this idea, you know, and I began to see that, like, love is a kind of a layered phenomenon, that it has hmm. different elements going on in it. It has desire, for example, which you feel toward a human. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're reasonably healthy, not for a cat. And then you have this thing that I call delight, which is just the capacity to be pleased and moved by by their presence in the world, by looking at them or even thinking about them, which is certainly something I felt for Biscuit and it's something I felt and, and for my wife. And finally, the sort of spirit element and the thing that was a rebel, really a, a truly a revelation for me was the idea of obligation. The sense that there's certain things that love requires you to do. Um, you know, they're often unpleasant, and it's not because they're prescribed by law. There was no law in the books that said I had to go looking for this cat. People dump cats all the time. I've worked as a volunteer in animal shelters, and it's sickening how many people keep pets for a while and then get rid of them because they're inconvenient. It's very true, and I, I think the fact that you were able to express all so many emotions as far as different relationships and different feelings that came to you as you were going through this journey were really, really amazing. I mean, I, I think it was very bold that you took the time to share so many personal details as well as your own observations of friends and people that you know. Um, in regards to the quest for love, you have also included some observations about what you've observed as far as the actions of other people. Mm -hmm. At this particular point, with everything that you've experienced, how do you define love? And in regards to your own experiences, what criteria do you think makes for a good relationship? Okay, well, the first one, I mean, I, as I said earlier, it involves lots of different elements. There, it's actually, I think the person who said it best may have been St. Augustine, and I don't have the exact quote, mm -hmm. um, but it's basically, he says that, to, that loving another being is to sort of looking at it and saying, I want you to be, I want you to be, not I want you to be my wife or my girlfriend or my husband, um, you know, or my BFF. I want you to exist in the world. Um, I compare it in the book to what God may have felt uh, when he or she or it first contemplated creation and said, oh, it's good. It's good. And maybe for a second forgot that it was his creation. So that's one thing. That's what I think love is. Or that's what I think it is at bottom. Thank what, you. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. What makes for a successful relationship, that's baker to me because, you know, that has a lot to do with um, it takes two, you know, it takes two or more people to have a successful relationship. So some of it has to do with accommodating another person. Some of it has to do with finding out what it is you want and being kind of, I think, true to both things. You know, if you completely um, negate your own desires in order to please another person, 
That's masochism. And there's something quite perverse about it, even though it, and it, and I think in a secret way it's something very self-serving. You know, on the other hand, if you don't make adjustments for and accommodations for another person, that's just pure selfishness. There's a point where your wife is praying, and it's interesting how you identify some of her needs, and I think the fact that you've really bonded with cats, the different personalities and whatnot, that it's clearly demonstrated that you have evolved to become a very loving, compassionate, and understanding person. As or after you wrote this book and you look back at all the different experiences and whatnot, what do you think were some of the experiences that have significantly helped you to become the person that you are today? Oh, wow. Well, I would say a lot of it was um, the, I think the primary thing was becoming completely disillusioned with the person that I had been, say, in my 20s. I'm not just disillusioned, but disgusted and disheartened and wanting, you know, to be... I mean, I knew I couldn't change myself into another person, but I could um, I could and had to give up a way of being um, that was very destructive to myself and other people. So that was the first part. Um, the other part was, I would say, learning how to pay attention which is certainly what a cat taught me. Mm. I mean, you know, I can't. When I got my first cat, when I got Bitey, I'd never had, never lived with an animal before. <laughs> and I mean, the thing, the way a cat, in which a cat is different from a dog, is a cat is not always sort of performing for you. Um, dogs may not either, but it certainly, you know, conveys that impression. Cats are just being themselves. They're doing cat business, and the privilege of having one is to watch them doing their cat business. And when I met S, or the woman I call S, I came to her with the same kind of curiosity. Um, I was just interested in her. I liked watching her read. I liked watching the way she cut up her food at dinner time. Um, I, you know, I liked watching her drive. I liked to w- walking at her side and watching the way, you know, sort of tireless way she walked while gazing ahead with this sort of large, round forehead glowing with concentration. An effort. So, it was learning how to pay attention. Um, some of that I, I meditate, and meditation is all about attention. That's what it is. If you pay attention to something in a concentrated way, you know, usually to breathing, um, but that is a keyhole through which you enter an entire world and learn how to pay attention to it. Thank you. In regards to the response that you've received, I'm just curious, what have your students said about the book? Well, some students I know love it. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily trust what students are going to say because <laughs> some of it is if they have negative opinions, they're, they, they may feel that they have to keep them to, themse- them to themselves. Um, I think what they... What I what I'm very gratified by is when a student or another writer sees that the book is not, which reads very very casually, is in fact an artful book. It's artfully constructed. It has um, a real time structure. 
and it has themes and all of that stuff that you learn in, you know, you learn about literature or writing classes. It was just I wrote a book that I wanted it to, to be, to look, to read light and quick. I wanted it to be something you could read in two hours and then that would haunt you for a year afterwards. So for that's per- sort of the best thing. For me personally, I thought that the stories that you've shared as well as the little tidbits of history I thought were really nice. Um, but overall, I felt that when I read, as I was reading the book rather, I reflected upon my own relationships and thought about the different situations that I had experienced which were similar. And also some of your observations. I mean, you write about how, according to your perspective, you see things quite differently and you were concerned that other people might think it's a little extraneous. But yet anybody who has known and valued the love of a cat definitely would agree that you know when when it comes to anything with cats there can never be enough and maybe that that's what makes us so different from just the garden variety animal lovers but uh you know the bottom line is is that when it comes to a relationship between a cat and a human being there's so much that we do learn and the course for self improvement just is continues to to evolve should I say? Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, do you have any intentions of writing another book to continue your journey with the observations of, or as you observe different relationships and mm-hmm. as you continue to grow? No, I don't think so. I mean, I feel like I've sort of used up myself as a topic. I mean, I will always be there, but I'm writing a, a novel right now, um, and I'm writing a book of essays about music which I guess has some personal stuff in there because I respond very personally to music. But, um, you know, like my challenges, um, I've written two books that can be called memoirs, and at the same time I feel a memoir, the memoir is a limited and even a dangerous form because, you know, one problem is we think about ourselves too much and we pay too much attention to ourselves. And one of the things I tell students when they, when they write or want to write memoir is that you don't write about yourself, you write through yourself. Um, you write about the way in which you are representative of other people um, or of a theme, and I hope that that's that's you know it's very encouraging to me that when you read when you read um, another insane devotion, you think about your own life because really it's like my life isn't that important. It's not that interesting. Um, it's interesting only as an example of the way in which people love. And you know, try to find and you know, and fail at loving. I think you're very humble, and I I will disagree on on uh, in the sense that I think your life is very interesting, and I think people like you that take the time to write books like this help other people to grow. You help other people to learn about themselves, to learn about life, to reconnect with nature, and most importantly, to learn and understand what love is about. I mean, it's not just a simple definition. I think all the things that you wrote about are truly um, not just philosophical as far as 
just the thought process, but these are life lessons that you're sharing with people. You're getting people to think about their own lives, to reassess and evaluate the different things and the choices that they make. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for writing this. And thank you. That's lovely. This is such a beautiful book, and I, you know, I, I know that my fellow cat lovers as well as folks that are animal lovers will truly identify with you on many different levels. I mean, it wasn't just a, a book that was simple. I mean, it really helped you to, or really forced you, rather, to think about life and to think about how people in general interact with one another. So, Peter, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been wonderful getting to know you and sharing your life with my audience as well as getting them to really just take a better look at their own lives and how they can make different improvements themselves. Thank you. That is really kind. I've loved loved this conversation. It's been terrific. Uh, You're very welcome. Could you please share with our audience your website, and do you have sure. any upcoming lectures or book signings that you'd also like to share? Sure. In the New York area? Um, yes. On, okay. On May 16th, I'm reading at Pete's Candy Store in Brooklyn. I don't know the exact address, but if you look up Pete's Candy Store, if you Google it, you'll find out the address. My own website is um, petertrachtenberg.com, www. Um, Peter is the dot Peter and then no break Trachtenberg T R A C H T E N B E R G dot com. Thank you so much. And folks, by all means, if you love cats or if you know someone who just appreciates the relationship between human beings and animals and also wants to improve their own lives, you're really gonna love this book. It's called Another Insane Devotion on the Love of Cats and Persons by Peter Trachtenberg. Please, by all means, pick it up at your favorite bookshop and also visit Peter at www.petertrachtenberg.com. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, everyone. <laughs>